Auto Line Daily is brought to you by Bridgestone, passion for excellence. This is AutoLine Daily for Friday, August 6, 2010, and now the news, and there is all kinds of news about General Motors today. At the management briefing seminars, a big industry conference, Ed Whitaker, the CEO of GM, said the company will post impressive earnings for the second quarter. And here's my AutoLine insight. In the first quarter, GM earned nearly $900 million in profit, so presumably he means a lot more than that. Now, Ford made $2.6 billion for the second quarter, but I'd be surprised to see GM make that much simply because GM's European operations are losing money while Ford's are profitable. Unless GM earned enough in China to offset its losses in Europe, it's unlikely it will match Ford's profitability. Whitaker also said he expects the federal government to dump all of its stock in GM at one time. Most analysts had expected the government to sell its holdings in GM over a longer period of time since dumping those shares all at once would likely cause the price of the stock to crash or certainly go down. Remember, the government owns warrants that essentially give it more than 60% ownership in GM. And while GM will likely have a lot of influence over how and when those shares are sold, Hitler will still be up to the Obama administration to determine how it wants to cash in. But in another sign of how much GM is recovering, the Wall Street Journal reports that the company is raising its advertising budget and will be back in the Super Bowl. It reports that GM spent $2.2 billion in advertising in the U.S. last year. And while GM says that number is incorrect, it does not say what it does spend. About 70% of that ad budget will go to Chevrolet, with the remainder spread between Buick, GMC, and Cadillac. And in another sign that GM is recovering strongly, the Detroit Free Press reports that GM has hired back 6,900 people since emerging from bankruptcy and is looking at reopening an assembly plant. It will not say which one, but the most logical one is in Spring Hill, Tennessee. It's a modern facility that used to make the Chevy Traverse and that is in relatively short supply. After originally planning to make the Lexus LFA available for lease only in the U.S., Toyota will now allow customers to purchase the vehicle outright. But there's a catch. According to Autoblog, customers can own the car as long as they agree to give the dealer the first right of refusal to buy the car back if the owner wants to sell the LFA within the first two years. The dealer can purchase it for either the fair market value or the original price, whichever is lower. The car costs $375,000, by the way. The reason Toyota's doing this is to prevent speculators from buying them, then quickly turning around and selling them at massive markups. Honda is concerned that the surging value of the yen is going to kill exports out of Japan. According to the Wall Street Journal, the company's chief financial officer says that the currency's current value of 85 yen to the dollar is not economically feasible and that it's impossible for the yen to stay at those levels for the long term. A strong yen makes products made in Japan more expensive in other markets and hurts the company's profitability because of that exchange rate. However, I would add, that the only way Japan can quickly reduce the value of the yen is to engage in currency manipulation, and that could lead to trade tensions with the U.S. Rumors of a mid-engine Chevy Corvette have been floating around for years. 
This is the Serve 3, a concept car from 1990. But if a report from British enthusiast Ragazine Autocar is true, an unlikely source has confirmed the project. According to the article, a senior Saab engineer was developing a dual-clutch transmission for a mid-engine supercar. The wet-clutch gearbox was reportedly capable of handling 590 foot-pounds of torque, just a whisker less than the Corvette ZR1's supercharged LS9 small block cranks out. It's speculated that engineering on this car is complete, but it was shelved in 2008 when the credit crunch hit. New rumors suggest that the project could be back on track now that the economy is starting to improve and GM is out of bankruptcy. In Europe, the Wall Street Journal reports that Opel is now offering lifetime warranties. Okay, a lifetime is a little bit disingenuous, but they'll cover key components like engines, transmissions, and electronics for up to 160,000 kilometers, which is just about 100,000 miles. So how are they not getting sued for false advertising? Well, here in the U.S., the EPA estimates that the average American driver puts 15,000 miles on their vehicles every year. That means it takes about seven years to roll up to 100,000 miles. But in Europe, the average driver only drives about 8,000 miles a year, which means it'll take them about 14 years or more to hit the warranty limit. And 14 years legitimately covers the lifetime of a car. Coming up next, we'll take another look at the 2011 Buick Regal, and we'll be back right after this. Introducing Bridgestone's third generation of run-flat tires with groundbreaking new Bridgestone technologies. Bridgestone run-flat tires offer improved ride comfort, lower rolling resistance, and improved wear while giving you the peace of mind and comfort you need. Earlier in the week, we took a brief look at Buick's brand new small sedan, the Regal, and today we're jumping into some of the technical details of the car. Again, AutoLine Daily correspondent Craig Cole reports. One of GM's goals with the Regal was to sell it in markets around the world. This can be challenging and expensive if you're not careful. Different countries have different regulations and if you don't plan ahead, you can end up doing a lot of unnecessary re-engineering. With the Regal though, GM was thinking ahead, so the changes needed to sell it in the U.S. were relatively minor. We knew we were going to make it a, a uh, Opel product in Europe, we knew we were going to make it a North America product, and we knew we were going to make it a China product. Uh, we developed it to be modular from day one. The only differences that we have on this vehicle here in North America than, for example, the Opel, uh, are compliance related. Headlamp illumination needs to be different. Uh, the outside rear view mirror uh, glass need to be different. Uh, bulb systems in the tail lamps need to be different. Uh, we also, because of tire preference, in the United States, we have all trained ourselves to like all-season tires. So with that, we had to uh, change some calibrations of our suspension tuning to match the tires. And the last item is, of course, we put local engines. So local powertrains are installed into them also. The Regal is Buick's smallest car. Its wheelbase is about four inches shorter than the LaCrosse's, but it's still more spacious than the competition. It has a few more inches of rear seat legroom than the Audi A4 or the Acura TSX, and it has a couple more cubic feet of cargo volume in the trunk, plus a low liftover height. Inside, the interior is exactly what you expect from post-bankruptcy GM. It's stylish and very well made. The only problem is there are a lot of buttons on the center stack, and it has an iDrive-style knob. 
I found these controls a little confusing on my short test drive, but you'd probably get used to them pretty quickly if you lived with the car, something that should be an option for a lot of potential buyers given what GM is asking for it. Uh, pricing starts at uh, $26,995 um, for a very well-equipped uh, Regal with a 2.4 liter leather, um, and then it can go up from there. The turbo is going to start at the $29,500 range. Um, and then you can add things like uh, navigation and sunroof on top of that, so probably stretch to the thirty-two or 33000 range. Thanks for that report, Craig. The Regal has a significant pricing advantage over its competition. The TSX starts at almost thirty grand, and the A4 starts at nearly where the Regal tops out. We'll have to wait and see if this benefit translates into sales for Buick, but the early signs are encouraging. And that is it for today's top news in the global automotive industry. Thanks for watching. We'll see you next week.